Hey folks, I'm Alex Dowd. And I'm Katie Reif. We're going to be talking about two films today, two very different films. Uh, one of them is Craig Zobel's The Hunt, which was delayed last autumn. It's a culture war satire slash genre movie. And the other one is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, one of the favorites of this year's Sundance Film Festival, directed by Eliza Hittman. It is a drama about a young girl trying to acquire an abortion. Welcome to Film Club. Okay, so The Hunt. Mm -hmm. This is a movie that was supposed to come out last fall yep. in September. Yep. And what happened was the culture kind of got wind of what it was about. Mm -hmm. And it is a film about sort of liberal elites hunting people from red states, yeah, basically. A the most dangerous game updated for the Fox News era. Yes, exactly. Yes, yep, yes. Yep. So uh, they caught wind of it. There there was a, there were a lot of sort of preemptive protests mm -hmm. on the part of the MAGA crowd. Yeah, um, President Trump got involved, I believe, he tweeting did. about how, what a, what a detestable film it was. I and, and honestly, the irony of that, and, mm -hmm. and I don't actually think you need to have even seen the movie to catch wind of this, one might you say. You need to have seen a movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the irony of it is that the movie is, at least in a superficial way, on the side of the characters for, uh, who are being hunted. Yes. It's Do not a movie that's celebrating liberal elites hunting conser conservatives. It, no. the, the bad guys in this film are, in fact, the liberal elites. Well, generally in a film when someone is being hunted, you know, whether it's by a masked killer or by liberal elites, <laughs> generally the people doing the hunting are the bad guys. That's just yeah. kind of a rule in film. I don't think I've ever seen a film that really celebrated just mowing people down with a machine gun. Totally, totally. <laughs> so the, the film, the release was canceled uh, quite controversially mm -hmm. in, in September, mm -hmm. but it, now it is coming out. Hey, it's back. Yep, it's back in theaters, opening wide this week, and mm -hmm. beyond that, they are now using that controversy as a selling point. Yes, which, they are. Uh, if you had asked me in September what was going to happen with this, I would have said this is what is going to happen with this. Mm -hmm. That this will eventually come out, and they will use the entire. It might end up making more money now because of the controversy. Yeah, well, I mean, you I know, know what? That's show business a little bit. There's a little <laughs> yeah. bit of Ballyhoo, a little bit of P.T. Barnum still in films, so you know, I, I don't blame them for using the controversy. Yeah, for sure. It's something that you know horror filmmakers have been doing for years and when we were going into the screening today I did see a poster for this film and it mm -hmm. said the film they don't want you to see right of course <laughs> which is you know kind of a time-honored tactic yeah for well but like it this. also makes you wonder when they made the decision to cancel it mm -hmm. if it was ever any doubt that they were eventually going to resurrect mm. it you know you sort of create this buzz around it with the controversy you know yeah but the film's politics ultimately I, I think are, are a little muddled you said to me as we were walking out of this that this was like the most violent episode of South Park you would ever see. Yes, I stand by that. This film has very South Park politics, yeah. which is that both liberals and conservatives are stupid and self-serving, and the only smart people, which is implied that the audience member is one of these smart people, yeah. the only smart people are people who choose to opt out of it entirely. R yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rise above the fray. Mm -hmm. You're not getting into this mudslinging contest. Yes, that exactly. Sort of thing. I will say that the film goes harder on sort of self-righteous liberals than it goes on the conservatives. Yeah, um, I, I would say that. I wonder if the films had some re-edits since it's yeah. original, it was planned to be originally released, and maybe if they deliberately made it a little bit lighter on the conservatives. Oh, that's interesting, because I think I had heard that it's a little shorter yeah. than it was, and I wonder if yeah. they, that would be very cowardly of them to take out, but, so I don't know, we don't know, but I will say that the, the film's attitudes about the conservative characters mm -hmm. are mostly that they're just kind of paranoid dolts. 
Yeah, there's only one conservative character who is explicitly kind of a quote unquote bad guy. Yeah. And he goes on and on about uh, crisis actors yes. and, you know, just really paranoid conspiracy theory stuff, which, you know, to be fair, does not represent the mainstream of most right wingers' beliefs, even, right. you know? The premise of the film, and, and I will say this is one of the smarter things about the movie, is that it takes a little while for the movie to reveal exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. There are a group of wealthy liberal. Yeah. Americans. Yeah, and it's established early on that these are, you know, snobby, one could call them East Coast elites. Mm -hmm. uh, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia plays one of the, the hunters. Yeah. And he, uh, there's a scene early on where he talks about 100-year-old champagne, which is implying very yeah. early on that these, it's sort of a champagne versus beer kind of movie. Totally. Yeah. And they're all easily offended, mm -hmm. and they, they all are self-righteous about their politics, mm -hmm. and uh, I think we're supposed to find it very funny, the, the sort of the disparity between their deep bleeding heart concern about right. social issues and the fact that they are murdering people in cold yeah. blood. Perfectly willing to kill people for right. support. Yeah. Totally. The conservative characters, the people who are being hunted, are sort of people throughout the United States who have made disparaging remarks mm -hmm. uh, about various people online. Yeah, and something that's interesting is you don't see until later on like specifically what their thing is. Yeah. You know, like they get killed off early on and it's sort of a trick that the movie plays with your sympathy towards the characters because yeah. they're introduced completely anonymously. And the movie does come out swinging, so to speak. There's, uh, so early on after they arrive at the manor, they call it, mm -hmm. where they where they hunt people for sport. And it's a thing in the film that this is a popular right-wing conspiracy theory that this place even exists, yeah. but it's real. So when they arrive at the manor, there's a scene early on that really reminded me a lot of Battle Royale, mm -hmm. where they, they all wake up and they go out to the middle of a field and there's a giant crate in there that has a pig in it mm -hmm. and also a whole bunch of guns. Yeah. And I thought that the film was just going to be Battle Royale with South Park jokes in sure, it. Sure. And to be fair, it did go some different places than that. Well, it does one smart thing, I would say, in that opening stretch, which is it sort of plays a little bit of a psycho game mm -hmm. with who exactly we're going to be following in this film. Mm -hmm. That's all I'll say. There are certain actors who are recognizable. Yeah and we don't entirely know if they're the protagonist or not. It's a little bit sick, but I thought that was the funniest part of the movie. I thought it was way funnier than the political humor that the protagonist kept changing because people kept getting their heads blown, to, blown <laughs> apart. I thought that was kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. <laughs> um, yeah, as a satire, it's pretty glib. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that it has anything especially interesting to say about the culture war. No, I don't um, think so at all. It's I a lot think... of both sidesism. A you lot know? of both sidesism and a lot of just kind of like really sort of surface Twitter jabs, you know? Yeah. Like it's basically at the level of people fighting on Twitter, calling each other, you know, s snowflakes and deplorables. Yes, they use that jargon as a punchline many mm -hmm. times in this film. Mm -hmm. I think we're supposed to just sort of automatically, the minute we hear somebody call someone a snowflake, we're supposed to guffaw in recognition or something. Yeah, like. there's a lot of guffaw and recognition kind of stuff. Like there's an Ava DuVernay joke. So yes. goes, oh, Ava DuVernay liked my tweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a Leave lot of Ava that. alone. It's, it's softball stuff, yeah, I think, It's totally softball humor. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally even though the film is stuff. very violent. There, yeah, pretty gory There's too. some gnarly gore in it. Yeah. Uh, again, that to me felt a little glib. It's supposed to be funny. It's a, it and, is. and it does move yeah. along at a pretty good clip. I'll, I do think the filmmaking is fairly intelligent. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Craig, uh, directed by Craig Zobel, who made Compliance. He also made Z for Zachariah. Compliance was actually rather famously I controversial have, as I well. I have some complicated 
feelings about compliance. Yeah, that's a, a touchy film, one might say, mm -hmm. um, and that the reaction to that was charged. Was it worth it is my question about We'll look it up what the film's about. But Zobel has some clear craft, and I think he crafts the, 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 the mayhem in this film mm -hmm. pretty well. I think it's pretty intelligently acted, too. Yeah. I think most of the actors are pretty good. I actually yeah. thought Betty Gilpin is, is excellent, I think, sort of playing the embodiment of, of this idea you were talking about, though, of somebody who's sort of, I'm not going to buy into either side of this ideological Above the divide. fray, yes. Above the fray, yeah. And also playing what's become a bit of a stock character in these sort of, you know, violent action, marginally horror thrillers, whatever genre box you want to put this type of film in, which is the woman who, for reasons that are not explained for quite a while, is a fucking killing machine. <laughs> she is a complete killing machine in the your next mold where, yeah, totally. you know, she's supposed to be the victim and then just flips it immediately. Yeah. Well, so how do you think this works as a thriller? I think it works pretty well as a genre film, actually, you know, as sort of an action horror hybrid where you have, you know, pretty good action direction and mm -hmm. it moves quickly and it's easy to follow and good action sequences, funny gore at times. But I think as a political statement, it's a little bit dopey. It's a little bit surface, you know. South I would call it opportu opportunistic. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's opportunistic. I think that it's it's looking at the intense amount of heated conversation in this country mm -hmm. and divisiveness, and saying we can kind of clown on that, but not in a way that I think particularly thoughtful. Mm -hmm. I actually thought a little bit watching this film of the Purge films, yeah, which are also by Bloomhouse. Bloomhouse uh, is the the production company mm -hmm. that uh, responsible for both this and and the Purge films. But those films, I think, are smarter. So today we're talking about Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is the latest film from Eliza Hittman, mm -hmm. a filmmaker been around for a few years. She has, I believe, two previous features under That's her right. belt. Um, but this one was a big hit at this year's Sundance, mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned in the intro. It is a realist drama about a young girl in uh, Pennsylvania, teenage girl. She's 17, I believe, in the movie. Her name's Autumn, and she finds out she's pregnant. Uh, and then her cousin helps her pocket a little bit of money from the supermarket where they work, and they mm -hmm. go to New York to help her get an abortion. Right. And that's the basic plot of the film. You know, it's not a super eventful film, but it hit close to home for me, and I think it'll hit close to home for a lot of people. Yeah, for a lot yeah. of women, probably, yeah, too. Yeah, for a lot of women in yeah. particular, yeah. I mean, did you find its depiction of, uh, where did you grow up again? I forget. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, so a place probably not so different than no, where this, this from film rural is Pennsylvania. Rural Pennsylvania, yeah. Yeah, yeah yep. no, it's not that different at all. Like, the kind of place uh, early on in the film, to when she finds out she's pregnant, Autumn goes to a clinic, and when she walked in, I thought, oh, I wonder if this is going to be one of those clinics where they make you get the ultrasound. Because I remember hearing about these places yep. when I was a teenager that to always check and like to look up the clinic before you went there because there are these, they're like religious organizations basically, and they go and you find out you're pregnant and everything, and then they march you right in the ultrasound room and show you your baby and hand you a bunch of pamphlets about how abortion is murder. Yep. And that's where she goes early on the film. That's her only option in the town she lives in. Yeah. And so they have to board a bus to New York City. Right. And you see a lot in the early stretch of the film, you see a lot of her kind of trying to figure out what her options are. Mm -hmm. So she's 17. She's very young. She knows she's not ready to be a mother. Yeah. Um, it, and it's interesting that the film, a lot of films would treat that decision as the drama in itself. But right. this film kind of trusts her judgment there. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 100%. I, mm -hmm. I agree 100% about that. And a lot of the early scenes are about her just trying to figure out what, what she can do about that. Yeah. As you said, this is Hitman's third film. Mm -hmm. She made a film called It Felt Like Love, which uh, all of her films have played 
played at Sundance, but this one uh, premiered there a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And then another film called Beach Rats. Yeah. I've liked her work up until now. I'm a little bit yeah. of a skeptic of hers mm -hmm. uh, until this film, honestly. My thought on her work has always been that she has a really keen sense of observation. Right. She's really gr great with things like details of environment. Absolutely. Um, you know, a, a lot of her films are set around Coney Island. Yeah. I mean, I thought this film was very realistic and textured in its depiction of both the rural Pennsylvania life and kind of just a large portion of the film is spent where uh, Autumn and Skylar are just kind of walking around New York City riding the trains all night because they don't have money for a hotel. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think that she's great with that kind of stuff and she's mm -hmm. great with these precise details of behavior and environment. Some problems I had with earlier films were I think that occasionally the, the dourness mm -hmm. of her movies can feel like an affectation. Mm -hmm. um, her movies are all about or teenagers or young people, very young people who are coming of age and they're all so relentlessly glum. And that's you know? a cliche in indie film, it is. right? You yeah. know, like if you want to parody a film festival, you say, oh, well, it's all depressing movies yeah. with no dialogue about people worried they're gay. <laughs> right, 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 sure. <laughs> like, sure. And uh, it, it, but to me, it starts to feel a little bit like an affectation mm -hmm. sometimes when you have characters who, who, who don't talk much. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and, the, and, and there's a little bit of that in this film when you have two yeah. teenage characters riding a bus to New York and they, they like basically have like like they do, they barely speak a word to each other on the way. Yeah. That rings a little false to me. A little bit, but I also found it touching. Mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, something I noticed is uh, Autumn doesn't have to say the word pregnant. Right. Her cousin just knows. Right. She knows right. that that's what's going on and she and and Skylar doesn't say to Autumn, I'm going to take some money from the till and take you to New York. She just does it. Yep. And I found that very touching because it showed like the bond between them and the understanding. Right, them. right. And yeah. that degree, degree of solidarity. I mean, mm -hmm. another small detail of the film is that they both work together at the grocery store mm -hmm. and their manager is a is a is total a creep. creep. Mm -hmm. And they, that just is part of the fabric of their life. Yeah, that's something They're, that you see sometimes in films, uh, particularly films directed by women, I've noticed, yeah. is that the, in this film it has this thing that I'm referring to which is just sort of an ambient sense of just free-floating danger from men all around all the time yeah. you know like varying yeah. degrees of danger yeah. but just the knowledge that the world is not a safe place for them to move around totally I think what made the big difference for me in terms of, of, of thinking this one is such a big step forward for mm -hmm. her as a filmmaker is that there is an urgency to it that isn't necessarily present mm -hmm. in those earlier films mm -hmm. which can feel kind of uh, the earlier films feel kind of aimless and I think that, that part of that is that they're just keyed to the rhythms of sort of normal, mundane American mm -hmm, life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this one uh, sort of takes that aspect of her work and applies it to, uh, I mean, you can almost call it like a an agenda-driven narrative. I mean, they have, there is a little bit. something they have to do, basically. Oh, oh, uh, you mean that way, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not I, politically. No, I, I oh, don't okay. mean politically. Yeah, Actually, yeah. It, and it's interesting you say that, too, because I don't think, I think this thing has, uh, there, there are, there, this is a political film in the sense that any film in, about trying to get an abortion in this country is political. Yes. It does not wear its politics heavily. No, no, not at all. I mean, I would say the strongest political statement this film makes, like, and appear politically, it's saying that Planned Parenthood is a good place staffed by nice people. Yes. Like, that's like <laughs> totally. the strongest yeah. stance it takes yep, there, yep. so. There's a really powerful scene mm -hmm. in, in Planned Parenthood, who the film gets its title from, yeah. and uh, just a, that's a. Oh, the acting in that scene really broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah, Sydney Flanagan, who plays Autumn, she gives a a very subtle performance, yeah. but there's a lot of shades to it. And uh, you were saying that it's an agenda-driven film in that it pushes forward. I, yeah. saw, I, I found a lot of tension in it, mm -hmm, particularly so what ends up happening is uh, they have to stay two days to, fin to finish the whole procedure, and mm -hmm. so they have to spend two nights 
on the subway, yeah. just riding around, yeah, because they, they don't have anywhere to like stay. Like killing time, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I actually was just terrified for them the whole time that yeah. something shocking would happen. Right, totally. Yeah. I feel like the, the film's vision of New York mm -hmm. is that it's this exciting new place, but also that it's a place where, uh, I mean, they essentially are like country mice in yeah. the big city, yeah. you know, and so the film acknowledges the danger without turning it into, um, you know, uh, kids. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't seem particularly interested in New York. You know, they don't. Right. They don't even well, really. They're want there it. for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And the film, at a certain point, becomes about how can what what do they have to do in order to get home? Well, one thing I would praise about the film is that, uh, like another cliche of indie films, is that something really dramatic or tragic mm -hmm. or shocking would happen to you know enable that. But mm -hmm. this film doesn't go there, which I actually appreciated. It spares totally. you like the trauma of them having some horrible ordeal. Totally. I, I remember at Sundance the film got compared a lot to four months, three weeks, and two days. Mm -hmm. uh, the Romanian film that won the Palme d'Or a few years ago at Cannes. And there are some parallels between those mm -hmm. films. Uh, that film is set in Romania in the late 80s and it, it is about two women also trying to procure an abortion. Right. And uh, I won't spoil that film for anyone who hasn't seen it. Some horrible things happen in that right. movie. This movie is tonally a lot different than that yes. in a lot of respects. Yes. But I do think that there is an underlying point uh, and there's an underlying sadness to, to to the idea that Romania in the late 80s in some ways isn't that different than America right now, now in mm -hmm. terms of the barriers that are put in front of women mm -hmm. trying to terminate a pregnancy. Well, yeah, and particularly um, and the film, again, without using words, clarifies early on there's a scene where she's Googling I found this so sad where she's just Googling like how to get an abortion in Pennsylvania. Yep. And it and this shows on the screen that she has to get permission from her parents because she's yep. not 18 yet. And that's why they can't get it there. Totally. Because she can't, she can, absolutely, it's out of the question to tell her parents yep. what's going on. I agree that in Beach Rats in particular, the lack of dialogue was a little bit stultifying. Mm -hmm. But I think in this film, the lack of dialogue really ties into the larger tone and the larger sort of like emotion that I took yeah. away from it, which is this feeling of like that this stuff happens every single day. Yep. Stuff like this has happened to people I knew in Ohio. You know, this sort of thing happens every day. And there's something very poignant about the fact that this isn't like necessarily a life-shaking event. It's just something that happened and then everyone's gonna go back to their lives, you know? And I found that very profound in a way. Okay, folks, thanks so much for listening today. That's all the time we have. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yep, and we'll be back next week. We're gonna be talking about the sequel to A Quiet Place. Shh. <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>